0: This is WJR's Business Biography. Now here's your host, Jeff Sloan.
1: Welcome to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Today we're featuring the story of an entrepreneur who set himself on a mission to never be second best. A story with its genesis in a moment. A moment when as a young boy at the age of four or five, a father's comment about his performance on the soccer field begins to burn and cement that young man's resolve and determination to be the best. Competitive by nature, perhaps with a feeling that he had something to prove, our feature story today doesn't have a revolutionary business idea or model at the heart of it, but what it does have is an entrepreneur doing things in revolutionary ways, outsmarting, outworking, and outperforming the competition. And by doing so realizing his personal goals and ambitions. Today on Business Biography, we're joined by that entrepreneur, Jeff Froder cangelli to share his story of how he built his company, Froder cangelli Wealth Management, into a powerhouse in its field. Now with over $3 billion of wealth under management for a who's who clientele that includes some of the most successful business people, celebrities, athletes, and others, and which has been heralded by the likes of Forbes and other media, naming him one of America's top wealth advisors. In his own words, you'll hear him describe his intense focus on growing his business and how he made that happen, but with equal emphasis along the way on his role as a father and husband to his family, wife Nicole and three children, Louis, Marcelo, and Alessandro. Now, starting with the story of his early days as a young boy, born the middle child to parents of Italian descent, and growing up, as so many have done, with a father working in the auto industry. Here is Jeff Frederick congelli
0: I was born in Warren, Michigan. I was a middle child. I was born about 20 months after my older brother, Alan, and we moved to Troy at some point over the course of my first five years, and basically was raised in Troy, Michigan. I have a younger sister as well. My dad was a engineer by trade. He worked for Ford Motor Company for the, call it, first 15 years of, of my being and stayed in the automotive industry as well, but separated from Ford Motor Company and having, you know, parents that were very hands-on, uh, second-generation Italian heritage, both sides of the family coming from Italy and, um, you know, really hands-on with the kids very involved, whether it be in private Catholic schools uh, involved. I remember going to parent teacher meetings. My dad and mom always involved to the T, which could have been with my behavior, not the best thing. And then, you know, with sports as well, you know, being Italian. I just remember as a young child going to the park near us in Troy called JC Park and playing with my cousins and getting into what they called zone soccer at the time. And you know, I just remember even at that age of four with, you know, other players that we had uh, met on the team. And I remember mm-hmm. my dad making a big deal about one of the other players and how good he was. And I just remember it resonating with me and being like, why is my dad noticing a, another player at being better than me and my brother? And it's just I had that fire of competitiveness right off the bat. And, and uh, you know, being four and five-year-olds, I'd be, I was four. You know, I, I was the younger on the team. I made sure when I was the older on the team, my dad didn't talk about anybody but his boys. And then, you know, uh, just, you know, my dad, you know, going to work with him on Saturdays when he used to work at the Greenfield Village location at Ford Motor Company. And, you know, my mom and dad were very young when they had my brother and I, I want to say 22, and my dad and had me and my mom was 21. So we really kind of grew up with our parents. So going to work with them, kind of listening to the business acumen, him talking to customers and doing different things. These are things that resonated with me. And I carried that because I, I emulated other people later in life in their different forms and try to learn and, and absorb the people that I had uh, a high regard for and uh, really wanted to use the word emulate. But I really wanted to be like and take the positive attributes that I felt made them special. So as a child, being around adults and being treated like one of the adults and uh, really hand-on parents, I think helped mold my brother and sister and I to be prepared for life, quite frankly, and, you know, certainly want to make them proud.
1: So here you are in your early formative years, getting a sense of yourself and starting to establish a direction all while your father's comment was still simmering inside you about that other soccer player being better than you. That's what I heard, but that's not what he said. Even better. Okay, so as a kid, you had this fiery sense. You were willing to put in the work to become the best at whatever it is you're doing, sports or otherwise. Then you went off to college, and at some point, you kind of had to get a sense of, where am I headed in life? Do you remember kind of those moments? I had those talks with yourself, and when you figured that out?
0: Yeah. Playing sports was a big part of our uh, development. You know, my brother and I played soccer together. He was the goalie. I was the forward. We played in the same team as well. And in basketball and track and a lot of competitive sports out there in addition to that school, you know, uh, you know, scoring a goal and, and bringing home a good report card. I don't know which one was the more focused aspect on those days. Right. With my folks. Hey, you played a great game or you didn't play a great game or hey, why did you get a C type of thing? And so that was that was integral. And and then having the opportunity to play at De La Salle in my high school career, which is one of the more storied high school schools, but not to mention soccer programs with my coach Mukhtar, who still coaches there, you know, getting an opportunity to be around greatness in that environment. That was another integral part of the competitive nature that I have. We won states my senior year and had a, just a powerhouse team with guys like Brian Mazenoff that went on to play for the World Cup and just being around greatness, right? And uh, and what it did is it lent the opportunity for me to pay for my school via scholarship uh, at Eastern Michigan University. And what I realized, Jeff, early in my experience in college is that, heart was only going to take you so far because talent needed to be there as well. And I I wasn't, you know, stronger and faster in high school, but everybody was strong and fast in college. So, I, you know, I realized I was good enough to be there, but it wasn't going any further. And so I had to figure out what was my next identity in life. What I did know is I wanted to be the best at whatever I did and wanted to make my family proud and wanted to make an impact.
1: Wanting to be the best at whatever a young person dreams of is one thing. Making it all happen is yet another you're listening to the story of Jeff Broder Congelli as told in his own words. When we come back, you'll hear how Jeff begins to put the pieces together to form a company of his own. We're headed to a quick break. Stick with us right here on Business Biography.
0: Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan.
1: Welcome back to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Today we're featuring the take-no-prisoners-don't-get-in-my-way can-do entrepreneurial success story of Jeff Rodercongelli as told in his own words. Jeff, so off to college you went and then to your first job. Pick up the story for us here getting
0: into the business school at Eastern Michigan and navigating which major. And once again, my father's guidance and guidance say, hey, finance is a good place for you with your strong attributes in math and such. And not to mention, that's what the world's based on. Got into finance, did some internships, both on the corporate side and then as well on the investment world side with Merrill Lynch and some other smaller firms. Realized very quickly, Jeff, that this was something that I had a passion for that I wanted to know more about. And that's what led me to my first job out of my undergrad, which is uh, I worked at Dean Witter as a financial advisor going through a training program which was a two-year program worked in New York in the World Trade Center tower 273rd floor going through their training program around 143 other practitioners coaching us as to what we were about to get into and the timing was really good. I read the book years ago called outliers and I quote it to this day and luck is interesting how it works out there was a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work and At the time that I was getting into the field of investment guidance and counsel, the world was all evolving a bit in that the old school pension plans that many companies, including the the company my father worked for, offered via a pension plan, which for those of you that don't know what a pension plan is, it's the company putting money away every year for their employees based on their tenure and their income. And as they vest and retire, paying them a monthly stipend called a pension My grandpa had it with the Detroit Energy Companies back when I remember being a kid. Uh, He got a pension. And what was happening is the companies were steering clear and away from that item on their balance sheet. And the nuances of 401ks and self-directed retirement plans were on the cusp at that time. And so now, instead of it just being companies and very wealthy families that were investing in the stock market, now everybody had to navigate investing and taking the initiative to make sure that they were preparing for retirement. And so these 401ks, next thing you know, you need people out there educating, working with families, making sure they understand this option. And what was the real kicker for me, Jeff, was when I had that internship at Merrill Lynch and I remember going home and saying to my father, hey, dad, what are you doing with this new 401k that they're offering at uh, the company? At that time, I believe it was Ford or one of the companies he worked for post-Ford. And he didn't know what I was talking about. He didn't have a clue. And then I realized at that moment, there was a need for folks to be educated, and it became a passion early on, even before I was considered a licensed broker, to make sure that we were out there. Now, the timing was good, so now it wasn't just a very select group of people in our country investing on the predominant basis. It was now everybody. So a little luck there, I'd say. And fortunately, there was a lot of folks in the investment world hiring and I was able to get a good job to start out and get good training and so forth. And uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's a a little history there.
1: So you got hired into the business, but at some point you said, I want to own my own business. And so how did that transition happen? You know, let's start from
0: the beginning. Here I am. I'm 21, 22 years old. I'm in New York. I had never been to New York, right? And I'm, I'm literally living there, going through the training program in the World Trade Center, mind you, right? In 1995 and six. So here I am surrounded by other practitioners that are in training. I was the second youngest in the class. There was one other gentleman that was like a month younger than me. We became close friends still to this day. And we were going to compete against each other for the next two years. And the way it worked back then, Jeff, is if you were in the bottom quintile at the end of any quarter and for two years, you didn't have a job. One, if you failed your test, you didn't have a job. Two, if you were in the, the bottom quintile on a snapshot day, not the day before, not the day after, that day, you didn't have a job right? That's motivation. I didn't want to go home and tell my folks I failed. So what I did is I figured out who was the best in the market, in this case, Metro Detroit, as I was in my two-year program. And I got under their wing. And I, and as I mentioned, as I did with my father going to work on Saturdays and, you know, having a very hands-on approach, parent guidance, I started looking at who's the best and I learned from them. And it was, you know, Pam Shaw, who's the office next to me back in my early days of my career, to other folks that I respect to this day and deal with that I just sponged from. I emulated. What time do they get up? How do they shine their shoes? What do they say to their clients? What does their team structure look like? How can I get through this? Because I don't know much, let's face it. And didn't have any experience, quite frankly, in the field. And that catapulted me to not only complete the two-year program without getting fired, but I was in the top five in the class. And then what it afforded those top folks to do was to come back and teach to that next class two years later. And of course, I was motivated to get back to New York. And I remember those folks coming back and teaching us because that's who you learn from. And I was willing to certainly do that as well, but I leveraged it and I said, hey, I'll come back and teach, but I want to have an office in Manhattan and I want to be next to the top teams in the country because I wanted to start learning from the, the epicenter of this industry of, of, and more so even then with information flowing far different. There was no email. There was no internet like we have today. So information flowed differently. So being at the pulse was important, not to mention being with the biggest teams and the most successful teams. That was an integral part, Jeff, because now – They agreed. I had an office that I worked out of in New York and Detroit, and I got to learn from the biggest and the baddest. And the biggest teams in Manhattan were 25 times the size of the biggest teams in Detroit. So the folks out there like Richard Zeman and Mark Sawyer, and that was a pivotal aspect. And so the training that I received for, you know, the first half of my career prepared me for the opportunity to go independent. And so I worked as a employee for give or take 15, 20 years of my career. And then realized that there were some factors that as an employee of the firm would encumber my ability of growth. And I wanted to see what was out there to give me a little bit more flexibility. For example, I mean, you you work for a firm, they dictate who you hire, who you fire and all those things and how your growth can be. And they run the PL, right? And let's not forget, these companies are publicly traded companies and they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders, whether it's, you know, you name the firm, Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, Wells Fargo, And so that has to be their focus and their fiduciary responsibility and the practitioner and the client somehow gets squeezed together. And going independent was going to allow me to really focus on what was important to us and run my own P&L. So instead of having four or five people working for me when I went independent, today we have 25 people working for me because I can truly focus the cash flow and profit into the areas that are really the focus of our firm, which is the client, period. I look at it from this vantage point. And as I've developed in my wealth and my success and and thankful uh, uh, growth of our company, you start being able to really understand what the other side of the dialogue is because you're in the same position financially. And I looked at it as what would I want having decades of experience if I were on the other side of this conversation and having the experience? What would I want? And let's package it. Let's polish it. Let's deliver it and improve it continuously. And so our focus and our culture is very simple. Treat people the way you would want to be treated. And in our role as your financial guider and counselor, what would be important to us? And make sure that you're giving that out to them the way you would want
1: it, knowing what you know today. And so there came a time when Jeff Fratercongelli was ready to go from employee to business owner. Well, you know, you work hard being a third generation Italian heritage
0: and, you know, watching my grandfather dig ditches and my father going to work six days a week as an engineer at Ford Motor Company and my uncles and hard work wasn't something I was afraid of, especially having played sports and being competitive. But working smart was also important. So leveraging these other professionals that were already been there and back and the most successful was integral. And I took time to learn from these people. For example, I remember flying down to Houston, Texas to work with one of the number one teams in the country and Really see what they were doing unique and try to emulate it in ways that we hadn't already and polish it. And I remember taking a week just to do that. In that employment process, Jeff, having worked as an employee, I really learned and I was a student as much as I was growing my practice at that time. Before I separated as an employee have a hybrid now where I'm still attached to one of those big firms, but I'm technically independent and I run my own P&L and I run my own business, but yet I'm still attached to their platform relative to access and research and compliance and custodial ship and all those things. So I kind of created and have myself in a best of both worlds scenario, still attached to the benefits of a large organization like a Wells Fargo, but yet I have an own independent practice that I can run and utilize the top line to the business and the focus of the culture of the company and, and the client being first. I mean, you're running a P&L, you're not used to that, and you're dealing with employees. Like I said, when I was an employee myself, these folks that were on my team weren't technically my employees, and so I didn't have the autonomy of firing, hiring, and dictating a number of things that I would when I became independent. So having that aspect and really leading in a fashion without handcuffs was critical and, and everything that happened prior to that date, whether it be sports, whether it be emulating other professionals that I still talk to, to this day, or whether it be your parents or, you know, just being a student uh, in every aspect of the development and being able to leverage that and then help in that nuance, if you will, because there's a whole new aspect when you have your own business of the office itself is yours. The employees technically work for you and just creating a culture that you have more capability and autonomy of creating and bringing
1: on the right people. A fragile transition for many going from employee to business owner, but Jeff Fratercongelli is on it. How does he do with the transition? We're going to head to a quick break and you'll hear how his company is set on a path to great business success. We'll be right back right here on Business Biography.
0: Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan.
1: Welcome back to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Going from working for an established company in a structured environment where the rules of the road are relatively clear to owning your own business and setting those rules is a whole different challenge. And we're about to hear how today's featured entrepreneur, Jeff congelli handled that transition as the leader of his own company, Frederick Congelli, Wealth Management. I'm sitting
0: here today and I have a team working as we sit here that gives me the confidence and comfort that things are getting done in a methodical fashion that we pre-designed to make sure that the attention to details never missed, regardless of who's in that day. And so the team, the team, the team, and that's critical. And whether it's Mark and Proto, my longest standing partner, or Cindy Malonis, my COO, or Chris Salerno, or All these phenomenal people, Kristen and Kristen Roach and Amy, these people care so much about each other as a team and our clients and their attention to it and our buy-in. You know, one of the things I did recently that I think really was a catalyst to our chapter most recent growth, and that is I've had some ties to the University of Michigan, which is, uh, I think, one of the best organizations and institutions in the country. And I've had the benefit of going in and teaching at a Ross class on the differences between working with athletes and entertainers and financial planning and executives and public and private companies and how we navigate each a little differently and as well similar. And it lent itself to meeting a lot of the athletes at Michigan and meeting some of the coaches like Coach Harbaugh. And it ended up bringing me to an experience and experiences that brought me into the locker room as one of the best football programs in the country at Michigan. And I picked up on one of their coaches was a former Navy commander and he was a coach there that worked with the kids helped them overcome pressure and I really watched everything that happened in the locker room in preparation in some of my experiences and I really saw a uniqueness in what he had and I engaged him and he came in and worked with my team and he still to this day is a consultant with our team working with our team working with our team development working with our internship program working with our team leaders and just seeing it from a different vantage point so leveraging a person that has had one, he's protected our country at a high level, reported to the admiral and to the president and the vice president of our country during his tenure in Iraq, and leveraging and giving us his experience not only in that world, but also as an athlete in college and as a coach at many schools like Michigan and Alabama. And that has been interesting to lend him to our growth and use him to really help our team overcome the pressure. Everyone's under an enormous amount of pressure right now and stress, whether it's this company I've been fortunate enough to be a part of in this interview, or whether it be wealth management or whether it be a technology company, a healthcare company, you name it, we feel it. You see it on the on people's faces out there. And the one thing that this particular gentleman, Captain Chabies, taught me is these Navy SEALs, they look at pressure as an opportunity. They say, what can we learn from this? Instead of getting that fear, they're motivated by it. And so he's been integral in helping my team see that, helping me see that, and So as your journey continues in life, you pick up things and you have to have your eyes open and really take in some of these opportunities that maybe just pass them by us. And that was one that thankfully we grabbed and has been critical to my team's development and our culture.
1: Jeff, how would you describe your leadership style? What are the keys to success in managing your team? You got to empower
0: them. You have to lead by example. There's nothing I ask or have asked any of our team members to do that I haven't done myself or I'm currently doing. So you have to lead by example and you have to empower them to be leaders. If you think as a team leader or a coach or a CEO or a a, a leader of a division of a company that it's your voice that has to be heard every day, unfortunately, that's going to come back to haunt you. You have to be heard on certain points and you have to leverage your people to be leading in other points. Because if it's your voice they hear every time, just like our parents when we were growing up, you hear it every day, it becomes, you know, somewhat mute. You don't want to be the only voice in the office. You need to create leaders in different pockets and let them lead in their groups and report back to you. And since I've done that, I want to say a good eight years ago, that's been another critical growth point that we benefited from. Are you demanding? You know, some would say that, Jeff. I'm a bit of my wife would back you on that too. I've been told I couldn't be a bull in a china shop, but it's interesting because, and this may come back to bite me, but our team shares with me on occasion, they're getting recruited constantly to the other competitors in our industry, not only in the state we're in, and we're in four states, but also across the country. And I think it's well known to folks that are cognizant of our team that if you can work in the demands that our practice has, you can work in any environment. Listen, there isn't a coach that I played for that got the most out of me that I didn't want to choke at some point in time, right? Coach Sabin, Coach Harbaugh, you name the coach that's been successful, he's going to piss you off on occasion. And yet you're going to still respect them and you're going to follow them as long as they know you
1: care about them, you're going to get through it as a team. And if you, and if you don't, you probably weren't the right person for that team. Jeff, I have no doubt that as a leader you're demanding, but in your case, I know there is no one you demand more of than yourself first. And that sets you up to be able to be demanding of your team.
0: hundred percent. Well, I think it it goes, boils down to our culture and, and treat people the way you want to be treated. And you can't hide that. And I have a client that's a CEO of a public company in Indiana in the RV industry and his daughter, who I I remember being born, and uh, she's now in, entering into college on a scholarship for golf. And she came and worked for us this summer. I demanded it, actually, because she's going to be running their family office soon and she needs this experience. And I sat across from her a couple weeks ago in one of our discussions that we had as, as, as her internship role. And I said to her, I said, the one thing that you have to do is care. You have to care. If you don't care, they're going to smell it, know it. Anybody who it is, could be family, could be a client, could be a teammate. If they don't think you care, you've lost them. You know, that's number one is, is you have to care. And you have to have a passion for what's important to your client or what they need to know is important to their ultimate objectives. And so that's the culture we have is care. You know, we really, really care. And we want to treat people the way we would want to be treated. And that resonates. And every meeting we have and all of our business is referral-based. And uh, we don't take on every referral we get because it has to align to our strengths and capabilities and things like that. But it doesn't mean we don't help and we don't care about what it is that that particular individual is in front of us and, and asking our opinion on. And, and I think that's critical. You can't fake it, Jeff. If you're going to be a phony on that side, there's no chance of getting out of first base. And, and that's what I tried to teach this young lady who, by the way, had all the attributes. She didn't need to. She just probably needed to be told that was important because she already had that care. So. I think that's a critical aspect, too.
1: You're listening to the story of Jeff congelli and his business, congelli Wealth Management. We're going to head to a quick break. When we come back, you'll hear the rest of the story right here on Business Biography. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Today, we're featuring the story of an entrepreneur who set himself on a mission to never be second best. And with that as a guidepost matched by his intense competitive spirit, focus, and resolve to outwork and outperform, now in his 27th year at the helm of his own company, by any measure, he's made it. That entrepreneur... Jeff frater and his business, Froder kanjali Wealth Management. Jeff, tell us, paint the picture for us of Frater-Kanjali Wealth today. We're in four states. We're
0: a national practice. We're very selective in the groups and clients and companies we work with. We work with executives, CEOs, public-private companies, their families, and we work with athletes and entertainers and we work with some family offices. So we're very specific on the expertise that we want to provide and the areas of need and pockets of the economy, and, and those that listed are, are really what we're our focus is, retirement planning, et cetera. We strive to be the most respected financial planning company financial counsel in our field in the world. It isn't one person. It is a culture. It is a team. Part of the reason I teach at, at Ross, Michigan, because I want the sharpest, hungriest, motivated individuals that are going to take this company well beyond when I'm no longer here. We have kids from Michigan, Michigan State, uh, San Diego State, local institutions. We have interns from Miami, interns from Notre Dame. And it's an opportunity for us to give back to them and also see where their heads are at and potentially joining an institution like ours. This isn't just about me. It isn't just about today. It's about the future and it's about getting better and getting the right people on the team to carry this to the next level and you know, everything we do, whether it was this morning at 8.30 when we got together as a team and and had used technology and Zoom to look each other in the eye and talk about the day ahead and the day behind and what we're getting prepared for in our Saturday huddle that we're going to have or just making sure we're two steps ahead. And there's all sorts of facets of the business. There's the reviews we do with our clients. There's the administrative side. There's the retirement plan for the companies. You know, there's events we're doing next week. We have an event at the Daxton Hotel where we're bringing in Kevin O'Leary and Ron Insana and Gene Peroni and Captain Chaby will be there, and we're going to talk to a very select group of about 70, 80 people that work with us and folks that want to work with us. And we're just going to have a discussion around the economy. And that's the key here. Our job is protection, protection, protection. My clients have already done the work, and they're very successful and very wealthy. My job and our team's job is to keep them within the guardrails, protect them, and make sure that this money ultimately gets to the place that they have chosen that they want it to go to, whether they're here or they're not. And that's the discussion around today and, and what we need to be doing to prepare for
1: tomorrow. Jeff, I just have to ask: Do you ever relax? Do you ever let down? And if so, what does that look like for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it just depends on what day it is, right? But Monday through Friday and many Saturdays, it's definitely Sunday's the you know the family day and church and so forth. But first thing I do is I have a Bible app. I read a scripture. A lot of people wouldn't believe that, to be honest. I, I who know me and how hard I'm going all day, but that's the truth of the matter. And then I uh, typically work out. You know, I love, you know, by the time I'm halfway through, we're almost done with, my, I've got one of my kids jumping on top of me if it's at home. And it's an inspiring aspect of my kids being there when, or I being there when they wake up. And, and then, I, you know, I'm already texting and I'm watching CNBC. I'm watching all the business channels. I want to know what happened in Europe. I want to know what happened in Asia. I want to know what the data from unemployment, are we getting earnings reports from Intel this morning? What's coming, right? What do we need to be prepared for? I start thinking about my day ahead and when I'm typically at my desk, depending upon whether I'm working out that day, somewhere between eight and eight 30, but I'm working well before that I'm up, you know, my brain starts kicking around five. Unfortunately, once that happens, good luck getting back to sleep. And then, you know, it's off to the races. We have a team huddle right around eight 30 every morning prior to being here. That's what we did. We talked to our team members in each role and we have a process of checking the box on different aspects of the business, making sure we're well prepared. There's two things that I do work and family, right? Those are the joys of my life. The competitiveness of work, the the being around my family, my wife, my kids, my folks, my you know extended family, and uh, I work out a lot. You know, going and watching my kids' sports games. My son just made the Junior Olympics in swimming at a ripe age of eleven, and my other son's playing travel soccer. And my my five year old boy is is coming strong behind, and it's really enjoyment for me. And you know, it's funny. You know, you drive all over the states and and go to their games, and it sounds like a big calling to do. You're giving up, you know, a lot of your spare time, but it's actually what I look forward to. One of my interns taught me, actually, he's the quarterback at
1: Michigan. He taught me how to meditate. So I'm starting to get into meditation. Now, Jeff, I want to go back to a catalytic moment in your life. Let's go back to the soccer field when you were four or five. Your father was such a big figure in your life. And on that soccer field, he told you that the other kid on the other team might have performed better. And it was in that moment when you said to yourself, you would never again be second best. I remember that kid's name too, by the way. (laughs) That kid is one of the most important figures in your life. And your father's comment about him lit a fire in you that still burns to this day, I know. But now as a parent to your own children, how do you cut a balance between pushing them and knowing when to take your foot off the gas?
0: That's a good point, Jeff. That's a tough, that's probably my biggest challenge. You hit it. Yeah, so, you know, my brother and I are both successful in our own right. He's an engineer works uh, in the industry of, uh, of automotive. And my sister is a graduate of Michigan, and she's a very successful business person as well. And what I picked up from my folks was that you got to know who you're working with, and you have to know where their strengths and when you can push and when you can pull. And I had a higher level of capability of de- enduring the pressure than maybe some other people did. I try to get that. I mean, I'm testing the waters. My have 11, 10, and five-year-olds. So I've got some learning to do myself. And, you know, there's, there's times where you have to be the gas, and there's a times you have to be the brakes, and there's a time when you have to hug them, and there's a time you have to shake them up. And um, I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be, but I certainly strive for it. And the good thing about my wife is she's an exceptional partner because I'm the gas and she's the brakes. And she probably would be the gas if I wasn't uh, such a strong motivator in that aspect. But she knows and she fills in properly and a good partnership and, and, and then the grandparents and other individuals to have an impact on the kids to make sure that it's not just one voice like we did with our team. I got to tell you, it's the toughest job I've ever had as being a parent. I think the thing I learned from one of my coaches, Rick Ruby, was, you know, you walk with a stick and you're tough as nails, but you you also have the heart. So you got to have both. You got to love and you also have to have the demeanor to be that tough dude that's hard on them when they need to be. But yet you hug them when it's all said and done.
1: Beautiful. No question and no surprise. Jeff, you know, one of the things about success is that it puts you in position to be able to give back to the broader community. Not everyone does it. But you've made it a focus in your life.
0: You have to give back. You have to give back, whether it's the high school I went to or Boys and Girls Club, because these are, it's so important that we're infecting these kids that just don't have. I mean, I've talked about my upbringing. I talked about the hands-on approach for my folks and the, the, the goals that I have as well. But there's kids out there that don't have that. We were put on the surface to leave this place a better place than we got it. That's a fact. OK, so that means we have to help these younger people that might not have the fortunate benefits financially, uh, health-wise, or other leadership, God has given us no more than we can handle. And so I've been put in a position with some successes that I need to utilize to help not just immediate folks around me like family, but others. And so getting involved in the Boys and Girls Club, getting involved in the local hospitals, getting involved in all the different organizations that my wife and I and we have a passion for. And I happen to have a soft heart when it comes to kids that are unfortunate, whether health-wise or you know, from a a background that didn't give them all the attributes that I was fortunate to have and make sure that you impact, like we talked about in other ways. Money doesn't motivate me, but getting things done without money is very tough. So helping in financial ways and then as well being there in other ways is something that uh, we continue to grow on. And we're involved in many different foundations and and charities. And uh, as mentioned, a few that I've already uh, mentioned and many more.
1: We talked about your impact on your team. We talked about your impact on your family, your parents, brothers, sisters, talked about your impact on your kids and and the role you're playing in all of those important relationships. What about for entrepreneurs out there who are listening to this program or know of you or aware of you? What can they learn from you? What has worked? What hasn't worked so well? What would you do differently? What can they take away? from your story, or what would you want them to take away from your story and apply in their lives toward their entrepreneurial ambition? You
0: know, one of the things that it's tough to handle and tough to stomach is your mistakes, but the mistakes are probably the most important aspect of your growth. And many times I'm the hardest critic on myself. And so when I know we've done something and we didn't give it our all, and we made a mistake in some form or fashion, it just doesn't sit well with me. And, And yet in history of looking back over some pivotal aspects of the growth of what we're achieving today as a team... It was the mistakes that made us who we are. It was the mistakes that we learned from. It was the constant looking back at, you know, whether it was a meeting or an event or a transition that, you know, we could have done better. That's what prepared us for that next. it goes back to that Navy SEAL, Captain Chaby, you know, taking stress and saying, hey, this is an opportunity to learn. And I'm going to tell you something. I say this and I've said it over my career. I don't think I've ever had more stress around life today that we have in the history of my being. And uh, so you have to look at it and say, okay, Am I going to let emotion take over my decisions like fear? Or am I going to use this as a opportunity to learn from it and prove upon our experience that we take from it? And I would say to an entrepreneur that, and I would also mention this, if you fail, but yet you've given it everything you have, you've exhausted every resource to give you that success capability, and yet you still came up short, you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I gave it my all. But if you did a shortcut. You didn't do everything you could. You didn't necessarily give it everything you physically and mentally incapable hands could have done. I'd have a hard time sleeping that night. And I would say, take that to heart. What I've learned is there's one thing that's the most valuable thing we have. There's maybe two things, right? And that's time and health. You can't buy health and time is gone. This moment that we have, this moment will never be back. So you need to maximize that and don't let the grass grow under your feet. Okay. And it's so interesting. We don't know what busy is until you have the type of lifestyle that we create later in life, like family and such. You need to use every ounce of your time as best as you possibly can because you're not getting it back. That's one thing we're not, not in this lifetime, we're not.
1: And so Jeff, here you are now, 27 years in business, a successful business, again, by any measure, beautiful family, kids excelling and achieving in life, just as you have done. When you look yourself in the mirror and you ask that guy in the mirror, have you made it? Have I made it? Am I successful in your own mind, by your own standards, by your own measure? What do you see? How do you feel things have played out and continue to do so relative to the vision you had for your career and for your life?
0: Well, one, I think my parents are Proud of their kids. And so, yes, from that vantage point, I think that's important to me and, and my sister and brother. And, and then, secondly, where will my kids be? And where were the interns that we had a touch on? And where were some of the people we had an impact on? Did we help change and alter and guide them down the path that's going to make them more successful in every aspect of their life, socially, spiritually, business wise, family? Are we going to help them see things that took me 49 years to learn in a younger age? And if the answer is yes, even one time then I think that's a sign of success
1: let me ask you this when uh when your kids no doubt one day are sitting where you are telling their story on the largest radio signal in the Midwest (laughs) you know reaching that audience and they're uh sharing their story and inspiring others as a result of their story as you are doing with us today with your story you think they're going to be talking about the influence that their dad had in their lives the same way your dad had in yours well, that's when I'll know I succeeded. Succeed he has. You've been listening to the story of Jeff Congelli and his business, Congelli Wealth Management. Thank you for joining us today on Business Biography.
0: Thanks for listening to Business Biography on the Great Voice of the Great Lakes,
1: 760 WJR.